Amen. Everyone have a seat. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. We are so glad uh, that you're here today. It's a beautiful day. It's a, it's a cold day. I don't know about you. I really enjoyed another Texas fall. It was all of 24 hours, but we went from summer to winter and it's just, it's here. It's cold outside. So thank you for braving uh, the freezing temperatures and, uh, and being with us today. We're really glad you're here. If it's your first time with us, I, I hope you know uh, what a joy it is uh, that, that for us that you decided to be here at Riverside this morning. And we want you to know uh, that we hope you, found, you find what, what so many of us have found, that, that this church really is a place that you can, you can call home. It's a faith family. And we love each other, we care about each other, and we would love to get to know you better and extend that same uh, friendship to you as well. Hey, I want to start real quick. Uh, you may have noticed this morning we had a different coffee uh, today than normal. This is uh, provided by Shade Tree Coffee Roasters, and this is a thing called Grounds of Faith. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool deal today. This is a local coffee roaster uh, here in Coppell. His name is Lewis Holden and his wife, Tanya. Uh, they, they provide this coffee. And uh, we did it today on Harvest Sunday because they set up a special deal. This isn't their normal coffee bag. Uh, this is a special deal for Riverside for our students uh, called Grounds of Faith. You can go to groundsoffaith.com. And if you buy their coffee, $4 a bag goes to support our teenagers for mission trips. How cool is that? That's pretty awesome. So a lot of you guys are coffee drinkers. And uh, instead of going to the store to buy it, you can just buy it from the website. You can put in the kid's name uh, that you want to sponsor or support if you want to. Or you can just donate it to, to, uh, to Riverside Mich- Student Missions in general. It'll go to that. And uh, they'll deliver it to your door. You can pick it up here at Riverside. It's a great deal. It's really simple, and it's fantastic coffee. The only bad part is I've had to smell it the whole time I've been sitting here. And so if I have like a withdrawal and you see me reach down, you'll know what's going on. Uh, this is, this is a, an incredible ministry, an incredible opportunity. And if you love coffee as much as I do or some of you do, uh, this might be a neat thing for you to think about doing. And so I'll leave this up here, and whoever's first can come and grab it and uh, enjoy that today. Hey, it's, uh, it's a good day, and if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know we've been talking about this idea of uncommon generosity. Now, I, I, want, I want you to notice something, especially if you've been tracking the last uh, three weeks. Uh, some, a couple of things about the series. Uh, not once have I asked you for money. Uh, this isn't a series about, we need you to give more. And I haven't, as your preacher said, I want you to give more money uh, because we need more money because whatever, whatever, whatever. Some of you have misunderstood the point of the series. And if you have, I want to apologize to you because that's not the point. Uh, We talk about generosity for the same reason we talk about faith and prayer and everything else. Because this isn't a financial matter, this is a spiritual matter. And it's so important as we read God's word, we find out throughout scripture, God talks about money over and over again. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about anything else. So we talk about uncommon generosity because we serve an uncommon God of uncommon generosity. Who, oh, by the way, gave his one and only son for you and for me. We know this is true. And so if this has made you uncomfortable in any way, I'm really sorry. But at the same time, I want you to lean into it because it's so important because this is not a financial matter. This is a spiritual matter. And for some of us, uh, like we said a couple of weeks ago, we've lived our whole lives out of our own abundance, but we've never really experienced the abundance of God. And that's what we're talking about is for you and I to understand, to grow into, to lean into what does it mean to to truly, tangibly trust God? I heard this story last year and I've been holding on to it because I love this story. Uh, you know, this is the time of year when, when you, whenever you go out to the store, you'll see someone ringing a bell and sometimes they'll have on like a Santa hat and a, and a red, you know, deal. And they're standing by this, this red kettle. It's the Salvation Army. You know what I'm talking about? 
and they're, they're volunteering their time. I think it's a wonderful thing to raise money for those in need. And they're ringing the bell and they're saying Merry Christmas or sometimes they sing or they smile. They try to cheer you up as you enter and exit the store. And if you're like me as you're leaving, a lot of times you'll, you'll drop in whatever change you have from the register if you, if you pay with cash. It's probably none of us actually. But if you did, you could do that. Uh, so last year in Minnesota, this couple, uh, which they chose to remain, remain anonymous, they went by uh, the Salvation Army uh, stand and they dropped in a check for $500,000. Largest, single largest one-time gift ever put into a Salvation Army kettle. Isn't that crazy? $500,000. Now, they wanted to remain anonymous, so the Salvation Army kept their name uh, private. But when asked why they did that, they said, well, we wanted, to, we wanted to inspire other people to stretch their generosity. And then they said this. I thought this was so cool. They said, they said, you get to a point in life where it's time to take care of others the way you have been taken care of. Come to find out at one point in this couple's story, they had to rely on food that was thrown out by grocery stores to make ends meet. And somehow God had blessed them financially. And they had committed over and over. And by the way, this wasn't a one-time gift. They gave this as a one-time gift, but up to this point, they'd given other amounts in the same way, a check via the Salvation Army kettle for amounts like $10,000, $20,000. Every year they're giving these enormous checks because they felt so moved to help others in need the way that they had been helped when they were in their time of need. You see, I think this is important for us because, well, if you're like me, this is, this is the reason why a lot of you give. Like you give, you give when you see a need. Some of you, you'll go out to the lobby after we're done here and you'll buy a bag of this coffee because one, you love coffee and you love great coffee, but you also, you love to give towards a need. And when there's a need, you, you give towards it and, and you're eager to do it. Some of you, this, is, this, is, this may be the only reason you give. Like you wait to give until you know there's a need and then and then you'll give towards that because that's what moves you. And I think that's because that's, that's, that's the way God wired you. That reflects the image of God in you. Like God gave when there was a need and you know that that's true. And so you want to give as a disciple of Jesus Christ to others when they are in need. This motivates you. This touches a, a place in your heart when you see that, that, that deal or that person or that opportunity and you see that there's a great need. You're eager to give and to help wherever you can, however you can. This is, this is kind of, this is, this is part of what motivates and moves you. It's interesting. Some of you are numbers people. I'm not a numbers person, but I know this is a numbers series, so I did some, I'm doing some numbers for you. So if you're a numbers person, you can lean in. If you're not, you can check out. I'll call you back in a minute. <laughs> did you know it said, the experts say, whoever they are, that the church in America, which by the way, you should know this, that we are a part of the wealthiest generation of Christians who have ever lived, right? The American church, we are the wealthiest group of Christians that, is, that has ever lived in all of history and all of time. They say that the American church gives 2% of 2%, all right? What that means is that uh, on average, most people give 2% of their income to their local church and most churches give 2% of their budgets towards missions, outreach, helping the world and, and the needs around the world. So it's said that, that most churches give 2% of 2%. Out of the 2% that's given to them, they give 2% of that to help the, the needs in the world. So again, I know some of your numbers people, so I wanted to do some numbers. So I called a friend of mine who is an actual numbers person. He, he knows how to do math, unlike me. And word problems in the fourth grade, they killed me. They, I, anyway, so uh, I said, 
you know, it's impossible for us to know what our church gives because we don't know what all of you make. We could ask for that, but that would be weird. And so what we did is we took our, our membership and we took kind of where you lived in our community and in our surrounding communities and we took the median incomes of those communities just to, just to do some, some best guess math, okay? So this isn't official. I, I'm not sure I could prove this beyond reasonable doubt, but based on, based on where you live and the median incomes of places like Capel, Grapevine, Irving, wherever you live, uh, based on our church attendance and based based on the contributions we receive, my best guess is that as a church, you give 3% of your income to, to this church, to the local church here at Riverside. All right, that's just a best guess. Now, if that's true, that means that as a church, you give 1% more than most other people give to the local church, which doesn't surprise me because you are an incredibly generous group of people. So that, that, that to me is just exciting that, uh, once again, we are above average. You guys are above average in so many ways. This is another way, and, it, and it's not surprising. It just confirms what we already know. What you may not know is that also as a church, 13% of our budget goes towards mission and outreach. That's not including what you gave last year to Harvest Sunday, the, the, the nearly 80,000 DJ talked about, or whatever amount that God put on your heart to give today. That's, that's over and above, and I can't do percentage math, so I don't know what that would total up to. It's a lot. But if the average church gives 2% of their budget, we are way above that in terms of our generosity. What's really interesting is that if every American church just tithed just gave 10% of their budgets towards the needs around the world, we could, as the American church, completely eradicate things like the need for clean water, food, medicine. There's so much we could do if the American church got, just got excited and behind that mission and vision. Now, so here's what's fun for me to think about is if that's true, if, if on average we give 3%, which means that some of you maybe give 10% or 20%, some of you may not give anything or you give 1% or 2%. This isn't a judgment on that. This is just, uh, let's, that's just what it is. It's an average of 3%. If we gave 2% more, so if you looked at your giving and you said, hey, what if I up my, my giving just not by 1%, but maybe 2%, what would that look like? Again, the math, if, 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 if I have it right, it would mean that, that you would give an additional $500,000 next year. It's pretty substantial, half a million dollars. Like this year, you've already given almost a million dollars, $950,000. I haven't counted today's yet, right? So if, if we just all gave 2% more, that would be another $500,000. What, what kind of good could we do with that money? What kind of needs could we meet? Who, who could we help? How many families could we reach? Children could we bless? Teenagers could we touch? What kind of good could we do if we all just were motivated to give a little bit more to the local church and then use that money in the name of Jesus to help those people that were in need? Or what if, what if we actually did? What if all of us tithed? And we haven't talked about that, but that's an Old Testament principle. That in the Old Testament, that the people of God, they were, they were told to give 10% of their income back to God. That, 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 that idea of a tithe. And if we all did that, this, this is like mind-blowing math right here. If we all did that, we would have almost $3 million a year to use on kingdom work here in this community and around the world. I don't know about you, I get pretty jazzed up about that. Because that, that's, it, it would be amazing what God could do in and through us if we got excited and caught a vision for what could happen when together we gave and then we could send out those resources here and around the world to help those who were in need. It's just, it's pretty exciting to think about what could happen if we got motivated to be the kind of generous givers that God is calling us to be. Now, you know this because a lot of you, well, when you read Jesus, this is the way you read him, right? I mean, when you read Jesus, you see that there was a sick person in front of him, and what did he do? He healed them. They were blind, and now they can see. They were lame, now they can walk. 
They were deaf. Now they can hear. They, were, they, were, they had leprosy, and then God, Jesus, literally touched the untouchable and cleansed their body. Or, or maybe even a few times, they were dead, and he brought them back to life. Like when Jesus saw a need so many times, they were hungry, he gave them food. So many times when Jesus saw the need, he gave. And he met their need. So many times he would do that before he even, even mentioned the love of God. He, he would meet their needs first. And that would, open, that would open up the opportunity then for him to forgive sin or talk to them about the kingdom of God and what it was like. And, and because that's the way we read scripture, which, by the way, I think is a beautiful way to read the story of God. All, so many of us are motivated by this desire, this need. And when we see a need, like when Jesus saw a need, we give towards that need. Well, today I want us to look at some of the last words Jesus said before he went to the cross. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, turn those on, open up to Matthew 25. And at the end of Matthew 25, Jesus says some of his last and heaviest words about what it means to be a disciple of his. And I want you to lean in and listen to this story. Matthew 25, we're going to start in verse 31. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And he said this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit sit upon his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right and the goats at his left. So Jesus, he hasn't done this very much, but now he's painting this picture of what it's going to be like at the end of time at the final judgment. And he says he's going to have the sheep at his right and these goats on his left. He's separating the nations, separating the people. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, this is one of the only times Jesus calls himself a king. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And this is why, verse 35, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. Is it naked or naked? I never know. Anyway. Depends, right? You know, like if you're naked, it's a bad thing. If you're naked, it's a, I don't know. We're going to scrub that from the uh, audio of the sermon. Verse 36. Alabama, there you go. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to, to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When, when you did it to one of the least of these brothers or sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Isn't this an interesting picture? Especially for us. And Jesus has this moment with his disciples and he basically says, hey, at at the last moment, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to come back. 
And some of you, and oh, by the way, these are the disciples he's talking to. So this is like the church, right? And he's looking at them. He says, basically, some of you are going to be on my right and some of you are going to be on my left. And those of you who are on the right, who are the sheep, because you fed me when I was hungry and you gave me something to drink when I was thirsty, you saw for me when I was sick, we're in prison, or I didn't have clothes. Because of that, you're going to get to go into the kingdom of heaven. And this confusion was over their faces. They're like, Jesus, you've never been in prison yet. You're headed there in the next couple days. But um, we didn't do that. We never saw you thirsty. We never saw you hungry. What are you talking about? Well, whenever you did it, whenever you did it to someone in need, you did it to me. And then he's going to look to his disciples. Again, people that thought they were following Jesus, thought they were doing all the right things. And he looks to them on the left and he says, you didn't do that. You didn't help the people that were in need. And because you didn't do that, you're not going to get to inherit the kingdom of heaven. These are heavy words, church. Because Jesus wasn't looking at the group of Pharisees at this point. He's looking at people like you and me who were trying to follow him. And he says, some of you are going to make it, some of you aren't. And I'm going to hold you accountable for how you lived. And what I mean by that is I'm going to hold you accountable for how you helped people who were in need. And in this moment, what Jesus seems to say is it's not about who kept the Ten Commandments. It's not about who got baptized. It's not about who, 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 who did the, the five things to be saved. It's not about this or that. It's all about this one thing. And this one thing is, did you take care of those who were in need? And if you did, you got it. You got it. You figured it out. This is the secret. This is it. Some of you have been wondering your whole life, what is it Jesus wants from me? This is it. This is the whole thing. Jesus paints it right before he goes to the cross. He says, this is the whole deal. Take care of those who are in need. Why did he say that? It, doesn't, it points to the fact, uh, what he's been saying throughout all of time, that every person bears the image of God, that every person is a person of immeasurable worth because every person, every human, despite what country they're from or color of their skin or language they speak, every person is created in the image of God. Paul would say it later, this is Christ in you. That's the mystery that all of us, especially those of us in this room who are believers in Jesus, we have Christ in us. It's a mystery. It's the hope of glory. We don't quite understand it, but we know this is true, that whenever, whenever we help and we reach out to meet the needs of those right in front of us or all around us or in this world, what we're doing, what we're doing is we're helping Christ. It's powerful. When we give to the one in need, in a very literal, tangible way. I don't know if you know this, but you're giving to Jesus. When you give to the one in need, you're giving to the one who gave it all. And you see, this is what I want for you and this, as we land the plane today. Next week, we start a new series with Christmas, and we're going to talk about Jesus. But today, as we, as we wrap this series up, this is what I want to happen for you and for me, that God would break us of our greed. And he would break us of our pursuit of the American dream. And he would help us to become a people that are participating in making things on earth as they are in heaven, that we would catch a dream for what Jesus wants. And this is it, that we help those. We help those who are in need. Think about the story of this preacher in Memphis who started a church, 26 people in his house. 
It began to grow and grow. Before long, 26 became 100. 100 became 500. 500 became 1,000. It grew to 1,500 members. And every year as they got bigger and as they grew bigger and older, the, the, the elders of that church would, would bless this preacher and his family and they would give him a raise every year until one year he looked at his wife and he's like, you know, enough is enough. From this day forward, whatever raises they give us or whatever money they give us from this point on, we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna cap our salary. We're gonna give the rest away to those who are in need. Now think about John Wesley. DJ told me a while ago, John Wesley wrote over 8,000 hymns. He lived back in the 1700s. He was, uh, when he was a college student, he figured out that he could live on 28 pounds. He lived over in England, so they had pounds over there. He figured out he could live on, he figured out he could live on 28 pounds, so he said, I'm gonna live on this and everything I make above that, I'm gonna give away to the poor. So the first year, he, he, he made 30 pounds over the course of that year. He lived on 28, he gave two away to the poor. That kept on going and going and going, but the older he got, the more he learned. It was kind of, it was kind of neat. He could live on 28 pounds a year. And so everything above that he would give away until one year because of his writings, he made 1,500 pounds. So he lived on 28 and he gave away 1,472 pounds to those in need. I think about the guy that when he got his first job, he said, I'm going to do what scripture seems to suggest. I'm going to give 10% of my income to the local church. And he did. And God blessed him. And so at the end of that year, he said, you know, I think I can increase my giving. So he did. He increased it a little bit. And every year he increased it a little bit until eventually he was, he was giving away 20%, living on 80%. Then he was giving away 30% and living on 70% until at the end of his career, at the end of his life, he were standing here today, he would tell you this story. He was giving away 90% of his income and living on 10% because God kept blessing him over and over again. I think about my friend who was at a men's prayer breakfast at a restaurant and they finished up and he walked out going back to his car and he saw a guy there who was obviously homeless and the guy was asking him a random question about hey where can I get batteries for this and my buddy was like yeah I don't know there's not really a place close by and then he was like have you had breakfast by chance the guy was like no come on let me buy you some breakfast and my friend, he would tell you, he's not like a super spiritual hero. This is just what he did in the moment. So he walks in, the hostess looks at him and says, can I help you? It's like he, she knows he had just been there. He's like, yeah, well, we're going to get some breakfast. I want to buy my friend here some, some breakfast. And she's like, well, we can, we can make something for you, and then you guys can, you know, get it to go and eat outside. And <laughs> sort of this indignant, you know, righteousness rose up within him. He was like, no, we're going to go sit at that table, and we're going to eat breakfast together, me and my friend. And he walked over there and sat down as every head in a town not that different than Capel watched and discussed. And he sat there and he bought his friend breakfast and they had a conversation. And this is what it means, church. And I know that if any of you are in the same situation, you would do the same thing. It's what it means to, to learn that there is a point when enough is enough, right? That, that there comes a point in our life, and this is countercultural. I know where we live, and I know the day we live. This is countercultural, but there comes a point where we realize that, that, that enough is enough. And, and I know what happens is, is, is we look on social media and we see Facebook and Twitter and we, Instagram and the pictures of, of the vacation that that family had and, and the trip that they got to go on and the car that our friend just bought. And we, it makes us want what everybody else wants. You know, it used to be to keep up with the Joneses, you had to look outside and look in their driveway. Now they're in your pocket everywhere you go. And you see what they have and you want what they want. So we, 
planned bigger vacations and we, we, we planned to buy bigger houses and we planned to buy newer and bigger and better cars and, and we keep wanting and wanting and wanting and we're never satisfied. And the funny thing is, is we're never really happy because we can never seem to get it because it's always around the corner and we live miserable lives and we have everything in the world and we just don't get it. Those of us who have gotten it realize this. It's never been about what you get. It's always been about what you give. That's why I love taking teenagers on mission trips. I, it's my hope and prayer that, that one day they, they go off and they do well in life and they make a lot of money, but they realize because of where they've been and what they've seen that, you know what, I can live in a little bit smaller house. You know what, I can drive a little bit older car. You know what, I, I can live on this much and everything that God blesses me above that, I can give away to help those in need. Because Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. You did. You were doing that to me. This is the essence, this is the tangible nature of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this is what we do. You see, we talk about generosity because maybe more than anything else, when we become generous, we reflect the heart and the nature and the love of a God who is a God of uncommon generosity. Jesus once said, he once said that you can't serve God in money. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. It can't be done. That's my prayer that God would break us of that and make us fully devoted to him. Church, if you would, stand. So when you go shopping and you see that person ringing that bell by that red kettle, you can drop in a $500,000 check if you want to. Mine would bounce. What I want you to remember, though, what I want you to remember is that we, too, can be people of uncommon generosity because we serve a God of uncommon generosity. Because we serve a God who came and lived and died and gave his one and only son so that one day you and I could be with him in heaven. And when he does return, he's going to look at this church. He's going to look at us. He's going to separate us right from the left. And I pray that we're all on the right because we got it. We got what he came to do. He came to teach us and to show us that what it means to truly be human, to truly be followers of Jesus Christ, to to truly be devoted to God Well, Jesus said it this way, didn't he? I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So church, may we be inspired to be people of uncommon generosity so that we can reflect the generous nature of the heart of our God. Let's sing.